Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 134 with my friend, Brooke Robichaud. I was very excited to sit down with Brooke. We have still never met in person, but uh, as you hear in the beginning, I thought I knew her even more. I I second-guessed asking her to be on the podcast because I was like, have I already interviewed her? Because I feel like I know so much about her. Um, and I'm excited for you guys to know so much about her. So without further ado, here's my friend, Brooke. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? This is my interview. Would you like to be my Robichaud. friend? Robichaud. Robot shard. Robo shard. Tummy two-tone. Hi. Hi. Oh, you sound so crisp and clean. Oh, yay. <laughs> that makes me so happy. I know. I love when, when you, people actually have a microphone. It makes yeah. such a big difference. <laughs> yeah. I've just been helping set up a podcast for uh, one of my clients in Power to Recover. And like the first interview they had was this guy who was in his car. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've interviewed people where I, I don't, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. <laughs> it's like, like I, I interviewed a friend of mine that her like three kids were in the room with her. Oh yeah. And she had no like microphone or headphones or anything. And I was like, how did, how did you imagine this playing out? <laughs> <laughs> I just actually got um, CBC Radio asked me to speak about the phone of the wind. Um, where so I go there to like talk to my brother. It's like this phone that's in the middle of the woods. You just to talk to people who have passed. Oh, okay. So it's like really beautiful. And um, I ended up doing a segment on the news and then CBC was like, oh, we want to do a radio show. But one of the videos I made using the phone was of my daughter going and like talking to Uncle Henry on the phone, right? And so they're trying to get my daughter on this interview and I'm like, she is four. <laughs> like, <Yeah. this> is... <laughs> the whole time she's like, I want blueberries. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the extent of what you're going to get out of her. Yeah. You guys got to know what you're, what you're getting at. Um, I like that phone idea. That's neat. Oh yeah. It's probably like just such a blessing. It actually went up like really soon after around the same time my brother passed away and um yeah we didn't have like a plaque or a place to go visit him it's yeah. he was cremated and my mom has a little shrine in her house but it's awkward to like go there to yeah. connect with my brother in my mom's living room so yeah it just gave me this space to just really connect with him still and it feels cool that i can like bring my kids there and they can kind of develop a relationship with him that way yeah. even though he's not here you know that's really that's really beautiful sentiment <laughs> um, I am a little deep. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Well, I usually start these out with how I know you. And I, I'm actually, now that I was about to say, I know you through the sober curator, but I don't think that's true. Isn't it? Do I know you through there or do I know you, did we initially meet via Clubhouse? You know what? I think it was through Clubhouse actually. Yeah. I think it was but it, too. well through the super sober curator on clubhouse 
Okay. I, you know, it's funny. I was doing a bunch of stuff in the sober space on Clubhouse before I even knew who Elise was. Um, oh, okay. And then that's how we got introduced is I was like, oh, more more sober rooms are popping up. And then... Interesting. Snowball Gosh, from there. I don't even remember. <laughs> um, but I'm having... I'm having... So that... Yeah, that's... And that's how we met somewhere yeah. in there. But I'm having an even more confusing time. And I'll tell you with it what it is. Okay. So before I messaged you, I started searching through my episodes because I so I have this like anxiety fear that I'm going to ask someone to be on my podcast that has previously been on my podcast, and then I'll right. feel like a piece of shit because I'll be like, "Oh my god, I promise your story is important. I just am really stupid." Because um, <laughs> I'm getting like I've talked to hundreds of people, and I feel like that's bound to happen eventually, but. You were not in there, but then I was like, why do I know so much about you? <laughs> like, and I don't know, because for the listeners, um, you did, we like worked together consulting website branding stuff before. Yeah. And did we just like bullshit in those Zooms a lot to where I just feel, <laughs> I feel like I know a bunch about you? Um, there's been a few times where we've connected one through clubhouse. I think we did, um, were you on sober pop ever? Um, once maybe. Okay. So there was that. And then there's some zoom connecting that happened through Elise um, and through the sober curator where there's a few times where we were all in kind of a group setting and sharing and connecting and updating each other. Um, yeah. And then we, we, we did bullshit a lot through okay. <laughs> our well, interaction. Yeah, I, I have flashbacks of like ancient YouTube videos that we each shared with each other that were super old um, <laughs> and embarrassing and stuff like that. And I'm like, have we? But yeah, no, we, we've not sat down in this context. So I'm, I'm happy have not, to have no. you here. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm thanks for excited. asking me. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for showing up with a fucking mic and everything. Um. <laughs> So all that said, the few things I know about you, you're in Canada mm -hmm. and I'm sober. I mean, we'll get to everything else, but okay. let's, let's go backwards. Were you always in Canada, born and raised? Yeah, I was born and raised like literally in the province I'm in. I have never moved. I have stayed very still <laughs> in my life. You're in British Columbia? Mostly because of anxiety. Yeah. And I've traveled a couple of different places and this is probably like, I like it here. I think I, I got the luck of the draw that I was born here. It's just so beautiful. And you can like drive four hours any direction and like be in a desert or be in the mountains or be at an ocean or on a like sunny beach or, you know, it's pretty cool. Is that, um, are you in Vancouver? I'm very close to Vancouver. Okay. Just, to, I mean, like in the suburbs, Vancouver is like the city yeah. kind of central. Yeah. I hear good things. It's, uh, yeah, I hear good things from all sorts of people like people like yourselves, but then I feel like celebrities bring up Vancouver a lot because a lot of stuff's filmed there, but then they just yeah. really enjoy being there and it makes me want to go to there. Uh, and my wife finally got her passport so we can <laughs> finally go to Canada, even though it's literally an hour away. I can be in Canada, <laughs> um, just never on the, uh, never on the docket. Plus, all the good parts of Canada are over by you. So, yeah. What are you gonna so do? So you're uh, like East Coast, right? Yeah. Well, I'm in Michigan. So okay. 
Yeah, we're the only place in the country where you can go south to go to Canada. Oh, isn't that a fun fact? Interesting. <laughs> that is fun. You can go north to go to America here. No, well, Alaska, you'd go south. Okay. Fine. In the <laughs> these contingent United States. Damn it. But I digress. Brother was older or younger? I have had four younger brothers. Oh, holy yeah. shit. Yeah, Whoa. I was the oldest. What can you go through the age differences there? Yeah, so my first brother, Jacob, he was born when I was just turning nine. Or I, it was eight, and then I turned nine in February. So he was born October, and then I turned nine yes. in February. Okay. I already and have And then I had the wheels my turning. next brother, Henry. He was the year after. Like, they were, what is that called? Um, Irish twins. twins. Irish twins, yes. Yeah, yeah they were like a year probably and a little bit apart. Somehow, but <laughs> probably offensive somehow. Probably, I hope you're ready to get canceled today. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> we're very controversial here in Canada. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so he was born a year later and then we adopted my brother, Tyler, who was, um, four when he came to live with us. And, um, so he was a year older than my oldest brother, but he came when he was four years old. And then my dad had a son when I was 14. So I'm like really the oldest yeah. <laughs> of everybody. Yeah. So at minimum, even with the adopted brother, it's eight years. Yeah. So you have, I imagine, pretty good memory of all of them coming around or co coming yeah, along. Yeah, they were they were my babies. I took them everywhere with me. Like they were real live dolls I got to play with. <laughs> so we made home movies. Like uh, we'd get the all the Halloween costumes out and everything. My mom hosted karaoke for a living. Like that was her job. Oh so we had all these cool um, like lights, lasers fake fire like yeah. uh, smoke machines and like weird stuff right and costumes boas tambourines you like had just an weird lsd partridge family situation happening <laughs> something like nice that. not so quite but had, uh, let's let's go with that um <laughs> mom's hosting karaoke what does dad do so my dad was a stonemason but he left when i was like two months old and was kind of in and out of my life oh, okay yeah but he was a stonemason and a boxer so I got to go to a lot of boxing matches and, you know, that is a big medal around my neck. <laughs> I'll tell you, I just wrote a whole thing on men and masculinity and stonemason and boxer. <laughs> Gotta be somewhere at the top of that list. <laughs> um, wow. And just to clarify then, are your brothers, do your brothers have a different father? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So my two brothers have the same father, then one's adopted and then one is has the same father as me, but different mother. Got so it. I don't have any like full siblings, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I have enough half siblings to make a full sibling. <laughs> um, so how often are you seeing your dad after, I guess, when you start having memories? Cause that's pretty early on. Yeah. I know there was like a good chunk of my life um, where I was going there every weekend. He had this girlfriend one time, her name was Heidi. If I could ever, if she hears this somehow and I could reconnect with her, I would love to find her. Like the age of Facebook and everything, I still haven't been able to find this woman. Oh, and she was bad. like my stepmom for a good chunk of my life. And she made sure I had a bedroom at his house and like decorated a room for me. And I would go there even when he wasn't home just to like be there on the weekends and yeah. be, you know, she made me feel like part of a family. And 
things were really great for, for a few years of my life where I was going every weekend. They lived up in Squamish. So, you know, drive up there and like see all the waterfalls. And it was just like really nice. a really good time. But uh, most of my life, I would see him every few months. Okay. Um, my daughter actually just met him for the first time. She's four years old. Then we went out there on the weekend to meet him. He, he moved to Gabriel Island, which is like two ferries away. And uh, found yeah. his little Two ferries away is not <laughs> a form of measurement I typically deal with. But so, yeah. but your entire childhood life, is that when you're seeing him on the weekends typically and stuff like that? Um, most of my childhood life, I'd see him a few times a month. Okay. Um, except for those like two or three years where I would go every weekend when he was with Heidi. And yeah. um yeah, I mean, I have great memories of visiting with him, though, because he lived in this little tiny island. It's like a four hour drive around the whole island. And nice. I would go play in the woods like just by myself. I don't even know how I survived, honestly, because I think about my kids doing this. I'm like, you wouldn't I couldn't even do it now as an adult. I'm so used to GPS. I don't know how I found my way through like dense yeah. woods, but I, like literally <laughs> would go walk through the woods and see deer and find like abandoned cabins. And just I would write stories in, in the middle of the woods about like adventures and like weird things and i i loved being there if you had and to pinpoint whole... an age that you remember doing all that when would that be it would probably be around eight it was definitely either just before my first brother was born or my mom was home with him i think it was just before my brother's born so it'd be like seven eight is when i'd okay. go there a lot um and then also like after he moved back there after him and Heidi broke up. So like from 15 on, I'd go and visit there as well. Yeah. But yeah, this, the younger, younger years are the ones that I really, really loved it there. And they had like um, this horse on the island that paints. Sure. It, it I'm paints sorry. pictures. It's a white horse that <laughs> paints pictures. It was literally like a magical fairy tale land that I'd go to visit, you know? <laughs> how How does a horse paint a picture? She puts the thing in its mouth, the paintbrush, and it dips it in the paint and like moves its head around a canvas. And then she turns these uh, pictures into prints and makes like greeting cards and stuff and sells them at the market that there. That is fantastic. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> I actually, that's where me and my husband got married. I took him to that island. I'm like, this is this is where we get married. <laughs> yeah. Here in Snow White's Villa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then what's going on at your mom's house then? When does your mom meet who would be your stepdad um or like so well, I guess when I, would I start yeah they got together I think they had my first brother pretty quick after they got together it's hard to remember because I was pretty young but things were hard it was it was like a party household there was always drinking and you know drugs and stuff around um and we lived in this really cute neighborhood where everyone was like married like nucleus family kind of stuff white picket fences and everybody went to church on Sundays and like whatever. And then there was like our little, like, you know, beat down yeah. rundown house with like broken cars in the driveway and parties all the time. And, you know, people just in and out, but there, there was a lot of like singing and laughter and fun and like whatever as well. It was just very chaotic. There wasn't yeah. a lot of stability. And um, I felt very different than the people around me. And, you know, I just had, just recently come to terms with this because I thought I had like the worst childhood ever comparatively to all these people who were like, you know, had proper bedtimes and meals and all yeah. these things that just weren't happening in my house. But uh, my mom said she wanted us to live in a nice neighborhood because she grew up in the projects and it was 
like everyone was getting into drugs and gangs and all these kind of things. And she didn't want that for us. And I was like, you know, mom, if we would have just lived in the projects, I would have thought you were like a queen. Like you would have been, <laughs> I'd be comparing you to the other people around me. And I would have thought you were amazing. Yeah. Um, so that is where, there's where you went wrong. But honestly, I think that decision of hers ultimately is why today, like I'm able to provide something for my family that I didn't have growing up. Cause I saw it in my neighbors and you know, I had yeah. different examples in my life and different aspirations, people to look up to, you know? Well, it sounds like both of you were trying to make it better than the previous person did, right? Exactly, yeah. Like, instead of it happening in one generation, like like your mom was like, I'm, I'm going to flip every switch and make everything perfect. <laughs> yeah. She was like, well, I'm going to get to the good neighborhood. And then, then Brooke, when you have kids, you can, yeah, you can... <laughs> Start in the good neighborhood and you can get like one more uh, up on that. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, I think that's, that's how it works sometimes. It's, it is, I got to note the irony that she's like, I don't want you to be in this other area where you might get into drugs and stuff. But then you talk about how that was pretty much always a presence when you were a kid. Yeah. In that house. <laughs> so. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. My mom made a point of not drinking much, especially when I was a little bit older after my brothers were born, she didn't really drink. Um, cause her mom was an alcoholic and drug addict and like there was gang life, all that kind of stuff she grew up with. So she didn't want that for us. Yeah. So she didn't do it, but she chose men that did <laughs> and roommates that would live downstairs that did. And, yeah. uh, I, and I back then was really horrified like it just I felt so different like our family was like white trash and but like I just had a really low um value of of myself and my family because of what I was seeing around me and what my teachers are saying and I'm like everything that's happening here is wrong right but then now as an adult when I'm looking at like how she grew up and what she went through and like the the amount of um stability she did give us and the ability to get out of that lifestyle and bring us into that neighborhood and like keep a roof over our heads and do that kind of stuff. That's a freaking miracle compared to what she grew up with. Right. Yeah. And I think like, just like you're saying, every generation, we just get a little bit better, a little bit better, but it took a really long time for me to, to um, kind of realize that that's an adult. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as a, as a human race, we, we like to think of things in kind of black and white and polarities and, I, I struggle with this with my, my mother all the time where it's like, I can think that you did the best you can and also have objections with like my childhood. Like both of those things can be true and it's not necessarily like a slight on you because as previously mentioned, you did do the best you could. Um, and I think there's that phrasing always has this like undertone of, Oh, if I did the best I could, then it's like, it's the best that there ever could have been. It's like, well, that's not, that's not what that yeah. sentence is. Um, it's like the best that you're capable. Like I'm only capable of doing so many things and, and thinking a certain way. And when you have that generational trauma and grief and whatever that looks like, there's those are your limits, right? So it sounds yeah. like you're kind of going back and able to appreciate that like within the limits your mom was able to function within, she went to those outer rims and did everything in her power to, to provide that stuff for you. Yeah, she really did. And it took, I I was about four years, four and a half years sober before I did my amends with her. And that's really where things 
shifted and I realized that I was being so judgmental of her my whole life and probably fairly. I mean, I, it's kind of frustrating all that we know now about like being neurodivergent and all these things that my, I know my mom was struggling with too, but didn't have language for and didn't have yeah. support or tools for. Um, like I get those today and that's such a miracle. So I don't have to continue the stuff that I went through. Right. But um, I totally lost my train of thought. Speaking of being ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I, I'm going to circle back because I think you were yeah. on the note of, of making amends and stuff. And I want to talk yeah, about yeah. your sobriety. But before we move along, I am curious about one thing. And I have to provide a disclaimer and keep in mind that, like, I'm definitely laying a set of, like, American values on things right. when I ask these questions. But how is it that that's the environment at your mom's house and she's the one that got custody when you're – or is there even a – my know? mom is one of the most resourceful human beings I know on planet earth uh -huh. and has the strangest connections that have like kind of saved her in so many scenarios. Cause there was a lot of times where like child protective services were called and it just so happened on that day, our house was sparkly clean and everything was fine, which was really a mind mess for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, Wait a minute. What's well, like gaslighting. Um, it's like, yeah, it's like the equivalent yeah, it, of gaslighting. It was, it was, it was that, and it was, um, yeah, it was hard for me because I felt like no one believed me or would see that things were really wrong. But I don't know, like when I look at it as, as an adult now, and I have all these stories and all these weird things that happened, and I'm kind of healed from that space. Yeah. I love my story today. Yeah. You know, it's kind of really interesting the day princess diana died i was in the back of a strip club at like seven eight years old <laughs> that'll do it like what That's... a great story that is though like what a weird strange memory to to have and like that's my to life like together. i get this really unique strange awful amazing beautiful like terrifying anxiety provoking and healing story because of what i went through right yeah yeah. What I'm, I'm curious, based on some of the stuff you said, what role does your imagination play with you prior oh to God. the brothers? It was everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's part of the reason I got into film and um, like creating things and, and building things and designing things and doing all that kind of stuff was because I was always looking to escape where I was. So I would have these imaginary worlds and, you know, create little movies and radio shows and like all of these things and pretend I'm America's next top model or whatever it is. Like I was always in imagination, writing songs, doing something creative, and it would take me out of where I was. And I would literally just sit in my bedroom, cutting out Ikea catalogs and like designing a, a bedroom. That's like my dream bedroom. And um, and then I ended up really getting into manifestation because of that. Cause all of a sudden these things that I would cut out and I would imagine, and I would, I would put down on paper become reality. And I, you know, right. all these things start coming true and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to cut out everything and put it on a vision board and do all these things. And, and it's really followed me into my adult life. Like I'm always imagining a better life for my family, for my kids, for me, yeah. you know? I mean, uh, there's something to be said about, I mean, regardless of what you believe, the the power of actually just having those goals right yeah <laughs> i mean and i and i say that from my own experience of just for a very long time 
30 some years. I, I didn't think about the future at all. Cause there was uh, some level of like, I don't deserve that. Or, mm. um, you know, like I, I don't have that self-worth. I can't provide that validation for myself. So I don't think about that. And then when you switch that and you start to think about what you want and, um, like what <laughs> the dream bedroom might look like, um, those things become like something within the realm of possibility because you've you kind of put mm-hmm. them out there and again out there can mean whatever uh, <laughs> whether it's it's manifesting or, or it's just something you're you know journaling about um, you're still creating that potential reality and I think as humans we have that we want to go towards positive change if like there's an innate yeah. need to go towards positive change and putting that somewhere whether that be cut out ikea pages in a journal or or uh you know a podcast um you're still putting that out there that like that's a possibility and then you want to whether it be unconsciously or not go towards that um so that's not that's not a surprise to me that you did so much <laughs> um yeah i, and wanna, I, asked I that, think there's like two things you can do when in those situations you're either like running from something and trying to like put it behind you or you're running towards something and i think that pull is so much more powerful you know like mm-hmm. i we often me and my husband during the pandemic and my kids we would just drive into like the nicest neighborhoods around here that there's like if i drive like 10 minutes up the hill it's just forest it reminds me of the island that my dad lives on right and there's these beautiful, huge houses, like mansion, mansion, mansions. There's a literal castle up there. It's just like gorgeous. And we just drive and we're going to, we pick out our house and we imagine like, this is where we're going to be someday. And da, 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 da. And like, you know, and I got home and I remember thinking like, what if we actually get that? What are we going to do? Like, I love the possibility piece of this. It is so much fun to go and imagine and, you know, plan out what it's going to be like when we live there. But then when it actually happens, like now what? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a whole other set of problems. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's what sparked my original question about your imagination, because talking about playing in the woods and stuff, it sounds like that being able to like exist somewhere else was had a certain draw to you when you were a kid. Oh, yeah, 100%. So how does life change when your mom gets married and brothers come along? Um, they never got married, okay. but, um, yeah, that was a really, really hard time in my life. He was not a great person. Um, definitely struggled with mental health in a big way and was a alcoholic and addict and, you know, got, it got really serious. He was stealing things from our house to pawn and stuff. And, um, it was a really, really hard time. And he left when my brothers, my youngest brother was about like a one and a half, um, Things up until that point were pretty chaotic. Um, I had a stepdad that came into the picture probably, I can't remember how old I was, probably around 10 years old. And he had that structure that we had been missing, you know, like he came in and he made sure we were all sitting at the table at dinner time and elbows off the table and please and thank yous. And he was like really hard. And it was a very difficult thing for me because I was the man of the house. I was taking care of everything. Like yeah. when my mom's working and stuff, I'm babysitting and I'm, you know, doing everything around the house. I'm, I'm, I'm the second parent. And then all of a sudden this guy comes in and he's like going to make all the rules and do all these things. And I was so angry and resentful towards him, but I'm so grateful for him now as an adult, because that provided just a little bit of stability in our lives for, I think there was like five or six years they were together. And, um, 
his, his mom became like our grandma and she was this like big show woman. Her name's Jillian Campbell. She was this like Klondike Kate performs on stages and has nice. all these wigs and fancy dresses and was just like my imagination come true. Right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, you go to her house and she's got all these like, like horse statues and just like weird, awesome, amazing things. And she'd always have the best Easter for us and, you know, really gave me that kind of nucleus family for a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we do camping trips and all this kind of stuff and things got pretty good. Um, we had bedtimes, you know, <laughs> was the there weird little things was the, I mean, I imagine that the way you're describing it too, it sounds like there's like this real dichotomy when you're that age where you're like very protective of this kind of just like a broken unit that you guys have. Yeah. But then part of you is like, Oh, this guy's actually like kind of <laughs> making it feel kind of okay. And, and, and structured and, and, but you also, yeah. I imagine are afraid to give up that, <laughs> that control or that safety. Cause you become used to it at that point. Yeah. It took me a long time to warm up to him. Actually, my adopted brother, he, he had the hardest time cause he, <laughs> he would be with us on weekends going back and forth from, um, his, uh, foster family was in Squamish. So we'd be driving to Squamish on the weekend. He'd be coming to our house on the weekend to get kind of used to being at our home. Um, and he was my second cousin, which is how we ended up adopting him because he was family. Oh. So, um, yeah, he, <laughs> when my stepdad came over to meet him for the first time, the, the thing he said to him was, hi, when are you leaving? <laughs> like, <he's> like, <laughs> no more people, no more new people in this house, you know? He's just trying to get used to us. And then this other guy comes into the picture. But honestly, like that, thank God he was there because it really gave us um, it's just like a, a platform of, OK, this is a base level of how things are supposed to be. Yeah. And then when he was out of the picture, we were able to kind of continue some of that stuff. So if I'm, I'm doing my math right, he goes out of the picture around the time you're like a couple years left in high school. Is that? <laughs> yeah, so. I was about 16. Um, I think I was. 14 or 13 when he moved out, but they were still kind of seeing each other. He's actually still a part of my life. Like we, yeah. I've gone out for dinner with them recently, a few years ago. Recently, he seems so COVID's weird strange time. now because the pandemic <laughs> happened in like three years ago feels recently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do that all the time. Um, what is the, I mean, what is, what does that look like for you? Not necessarily with him or anything, but being a teenager in general, um, Cause it sounds like leading up to that, you started to get a structure that you didn't have before. Did that pay off as a teenager or were you kind of. I think it did. I think it gave me um, some stability. I'm squeaked through high school and like, you know, I don't think that would have happened if he wasn't in our lives, honestly. <laughs> um, however, I did like. It's, it's weird because when he wasn't there, I felt all the responsibility on my shoulders to make everything work and to be responsible. And I was so against drugs and so against alcohol. And like, I'm never going to do that. And I'm a goody two shoes and I'm, I need to take care of my brothers. But then when he was there doing that and I'm getting older and I'm kind of thinking like, oh, they don't need me anymore. I feel like I had this space to kind of relax. And then I started, you know, dating and doing all these things and worrying about my own life. Cause I didn't have to worry about them. And ended up, you know, wanting to impress a boy and smoked a joint for the first time, <laughs> like, you know, all these things they swore I'd never going to do started does. happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know if I, I, it, I think it was definitely 
beneficial, but then also maybe I wouldn't have got into that stuff if I still felt all that pressure to make everything work. I definitely wouldn't have gotten through high school though. So I'm going to say it was a positive thing. <laughs> what, um, what does that look like as you're going through high school and afterwards being like, as far as drinking and drugs and boys and all that fun stuff? Yeah. Well, it's so weird. Like I was such a goody two shoes through most of my high school and then like grade 10 happened and I, I joined the improv team at high school. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed so with that fun. fact. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's where I met my oldest son's father. Okay. And uh, yeah. And I was just like these older boys, he was six foot something in high school. And then I was like ridiculously short and looked like I was 12 years old. And he, we started dating and he dropped me off at my job at McDonald's and uh, nice. everyone thought he was my dad. <laughs> he was also starting to go bald a little bit. So. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's funny now because my son's like six foot something. He's 16 and like towering over me. And I'm like, man, I wonder if people think we're dating. <laughs> we're, like... That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Because um, he looks like a grown man. What if you can go back into mind frame, uh, frame of mind, mindset, words, yeah. you know, words. Um, if you can go into the mindset that 16-year-old Brooke is in, what what draws you to him and, like, starts that relationship? I think I saw, like, so much confidence and just fun and, like, he really enjoyed life and just that whole team, that whole improv team was just like the best time of my life. We had so much fun and they were older and I really wanted them to think I was cool, but they were all into like doing acid and mushrooms and like smoking weed and drinking. And I had promised, uh, Jesus Christ, my Lord and savior. When I was a little girl, <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I'm never going to do all this stuff. And, you know, and there was this one time I was babysitting everybody for New Year's. My mom had gone out, all her friends were at their, her karaoke or whatever. So they left all of the kids at our place for me to watch. And I'd make like 200 bucks. So I didn't care. I was like so happy. But this one kid would not go to sleep, like just wouldn't stop crying. And so I prayed and I was like, God, if you just make her stop crying, I swear I won't have sex till I'm married. And she shut up and went right to sleep, like instantly. And I was like, whoa. God's <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> snagging this one early. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I met this older boy. I did not keep that promise. <laughs> and I really wanted to feel more grown up because I always felt so immature. And I know now that's largely because I'm not like neurotypical. My brain works differently. Um, I did, I wasn't as mature. It was really hard for me to get homework done and do all these like things yeah. that all my peers were doing. So I've always felt different and not like everybody. And then this group of people were all more like me like they're all having fun or whatever but all of them are doing drugs and drinking well so i imagine too your eight. development chart is like zigzagging all over the place given like given your history and your parents and then when your brothers come along like you lose some of your childhood because you're probably parenting more than you <laughs> should have yeah. to um so I, I don't think that's that that off base of feeling that way absolutely yeah and then like the first time i drank i just remember not caring anymore i didn't care that i was different yeah, i had an excuse great. to be myself you know because i was so nervous to be myself because i thought people were gonna think i'm like immature and silly and stupid or whatever i like weird things i really do still as an adult i feel immature so. 
That's but, the secret. Um, the secret is that's the secret. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's no one knows anything. People just get older. I hope that's true. Because yeah, I, I can tell you as someone that continues to get older, it is it is true. Um, yeah. There's... Yeah. So I just yeah I remember drinking and feeling like oh my god this is the answer like I can just be myself I can say the jokes I want to say that are sitting in my head that I'm nervous to come out of my mouth because every time I say the things out loud that are in here people give me weird looks so I stop talking <laughs> you know <laughs> and. Uh... And I could, I could flirt with the boys I wanted to flirt with and, and all these things that rattle around in my head that I want to do, I could just do. And I had an excuse to do it. And I just felt this freedom. And like, finally, my brain had dopamine for the first time too. So it was just like, blah, like everything is possible. And why isn't everyone drinking every day? Like, this is amazing. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And then it was on a quest to what else can make me feel this good? What else can make me feel this good? And that just led me down to like being 18 years old and pregnant. And, uh, yeah, just doing all the things I swore I was never going to do as a kid, like drinking, yeah. using, um, drinking and driving, like doing treating my friends like crap, you know, not being faithful in relationships, like all that stuff was going on. Um, and it took two years. Like I saw, um, uh, a man naked for the first time. And then two years later, <laughs> off the deep end. Um, yeah, I'm on, I should have been on like a Jerry Springer teen mom kind of reality show sort of thing. <laughs> well, let's, let's walk back to that. Cause I'm curious, tell me about finding out you're pregnant at 18 and are you, are you graduated at that point? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I graduated. I, my birthday is in February. So I was done at 17. Okay. I was done with high school. I didn't graduate because of like 2% um, in social studies. And then they changed, I was, I went back to go (laughs) to get it. And uh, the course wasn't running because there wasn't enough people signed up for it. So I ended up taking accounting, which came in handy as an adult, everything happens for a reason. But um, that year after that, they changed everything. So I would have to redo a whole bunch of grade 10 courses and and, 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 like, just, it was insane. So I'm like, I'm just going to be a person that doesn't have the diploma. Like I made it through high school, but I just didn't get that 2%. So It is what it is. It's not really affected my life much as an adult. But... Good. Um, so then yeah. when do you find out you're pregnant and what does that moment look like? Oh my gosh. I don't even know how to get into this story, but it was a whole mess. Um, me and my son's father, we started dating when I was 16 and then we broke up a year later or a year and a half later um, and then ended up kind of reconnecting for a little bit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. when I was 18 after several other relationships in between. And, uh, it was just honestly, I don't even know how to explain it. I was in such a dark place. I thought my life was probably going to be over soon. Like I didn't really see a future for myself. And, um, and then I found out I was pregnant at the hospital cause I was I was not feeling well and I thought something was wrong. And so they did a bunch of tests and I found out I was pregnant and I just remember there's Leon. <laughs> I remember crying and just sitting there like shaking back and forth, not knowing what I'm going to do. Um, I ended up getting fired from my job because I didn't call them after going to the hospital. Like I left work to go to the hospital. I didn't call them. I showed up late the next day and they just said, you can't, you can't work here anymore. And so now, and I just become homeless at the time because I didn't, I was like in between houses. <laughs> so I'm homeless. I have no job. 
I find out I'm pregnant. I don't really have a relationship. We're me and my ex that got back together. We're just kind of not, we weren't in a relationship. We're just like having fun. (laughs) Okay. Oh, this is so weird to go back to. And, uh, yeah. And so then trying to tell him, cause he, he made it really clear. He didn't want to have kids. Like that wasn't part of his plan in life. He wanted to travel and do all these things. And I knew this wouldn't be something he was really thrilled about. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. Like it was, I was in everyone around me was telling me I'm not mature enough or stable enough. I don't have a home. I don't have all these things that you need to like raise a child. And I'm 18 years old and I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. And, um, yeah. And so I was at the mall with my little flip phone. I call, I call his number to tell him and I'm like, my heart's racing out of my chest. I'm having the worst anxiety of my life. And I'm like, I really need to talk to you. I need to tell you something. He's like, okay, what is it? And I just go to say it and my phone dies. <laughs> it's like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, is my life a movie? Like, how does this stuff always happen to me? <laughs> like, just these weird coincident sort of things and um yeah so before I had met him I was going to church a lot and you know that's where I'd spend my lunch hours at school we'd go they had this little cute like 50s diner hangout at church and I would I would that was my place to get away from my my home my lifestyle and all that kind of stuff that I kind of wanted to run away from but meeting him he was an atheist and he didn't believe in in God or anything and I was like oh well his family's nice they make money they're stable like he seems like a good guy. Maybe God isn't real. <laughs> so I kind of put faith down for a long time. And then I found out I was pregnant. And and for the first time in a long time, I started praying again. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. Everyone's telling me not to keep the baby because it's like the responsible thing to do because you're not responsible enough for a child. And um, I was driving with my auntie. And as I'm praying, because I didn't know what to do, she came with me to like get the ultrasound done and see how far along I was. And when I got the ultrasound and I saw this little like teddy bear, he looked like a little tiny peanut with arms and legs, little teddy bear in my tummy. And everyone had told me it's like a molecule. It's nothing, you know, I'm like, that's not a molecule. That's a little teddy bear. (laughs) What are you guys talking about? And I started praying and I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. Like, please give me a sign. I need a sign. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Everything's a mess. Like I've just, I've messed up my life so much. I don't know how I could ever have a baby. I've been using and drinking. I didn't know I was pregnant. Like something might be wrong. And um, as I'm praying, a billboard came up on the side of the road that said abortion stops a beating heart, like an actual sign. Were you in Iowa? Um... No, in Canada. (laughs) And that stuff does not happen here. (laughs) We don't have that kind of propaganda stuff here. People are very pro-choice, usually liberal. Like it's, it's a very more open mindset. And, um, but I honestly think when I read that sign, like now, I think it would have been in my heart that would have stopped because I think if I would have made the choice not to keep my son, I probably couldn't have lived with myself and I probably would have continued drinking and drugging the way I was. And I probably wouldn't be alive today. Well, you're, yeah. I mean, you're describing that time leading up to finding out as like what many people would describe as like about, I just got fired. I'm homeless. (laughs) I'm drinking uh what was your drug of choice Uh, anything people would give me for free (laughs) free drugs um (laughs) like yeah that's to be like like that that could go both ways right like a kid could give you this hope that you aren't able to find anywhere or you know it could also 
provide you with one more thing that's like, I need to get out of this life. <laughs> so yeah, and I, I didn't have the awareness that I was actually an addict at the time, like, because I was much, very much a binge user, yeah. and I could stop for a period of time in between. And I thought that meant I wasn't an addict. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I didn't really understand that that was what was going on with me. But I remember being pregnant and then quitting everything like cold turkey it was just out of my life out of my system and feeling the best I'd ever felt and I thought it was because of pregnancy I was like oh my god pregnancy hormones are amazing <laughs> it was probably because I wasn't drinking yeah <laughs> like, I wonder regularly how often that happens um because I'm like I know if you're sober for six to nine months like yeah there is a level of clarity that you get and just like, I mean, you know, they call it with the pink cloud and shit like that. But yeah, it's, I'm like, I wonder how many people get that like at the end of their pregnancy and they're like, it's definitely the pregnancy. And I want to be like, no, 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 just don't drink again when you <laughs> after you have the kid. Like it keeps going, I promise. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wish that was the decision I made, but <laughs> I, uh, I ended up going back to work when my son was like three months old because the way it worked out like my ex could get um paternity leave but I couldn't because I hadn't been working before while I was pregnant so I hadn't cured enough um yeah I, I know it's very different here in Canada the way things work but yeah, yeah. um so I went back to work at three months when my son was three months old and uh, all those feelings came back of feeling immature and insecure and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm in this work environment that I hadn't been in in a very, very long time. I'd never really kept a job. Um, and I was 19 years old in this industry that was much older. And, you know, I just felt uncomfortable in my body because my body had changed significantly. And then the culture there was very party culture. It was an appliance sales company, which sounds so backwards, but they had, it was like working in the fifties. They had beer fridges and stuff in in their offices and like you know people were partying like crazy was it pacific and sales <laughs> no it's not <laughs> I, won't, I won't call them out yeah i might right. want to go back there someday i don't Fair know enough. if it'll take me but, <laughs> <laughs> but i i worked my way up i got a promotion i did all these things there i was the youngest salesperson. i was making more sales than most of the people that had been there for a while like i i beat everyone else and you know my little adhd entrepreneur brain just loved it i was having so much fun i loved learning about appliances it was the weirdest thing i like designing kitchens i would sit there and design kitchens all day you know like it was just so much fun um but then i got into to drinking again and within two years i was using drugs again and i was just like back to where i was when i was a teenager right because I, I had no idea that i was dealing i actually thought i was bipolar <laughs> That must be my problem. And I ended up getting fired from that job and just that destroyed me because I got all of my self-worth and confidence was in the fact that I was working at this job. Yeah. Like that's that was the only thing I had that made me feel like I'm not that piece of trash I thought I was growing up, you know? What is your relationship with your mom at this time when you're pregnant and having a kid and Yeah, it was rough. It was really rough. Um, she was, I, I, I mean, she did the best she could, but it was just hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm 18 years old and pregnant. I, I ended up moving back there for a few months, but it was still chaotic. And, you know, there's the roommates she would get to live in the basement were always so odd. <laughs> like this guy, when I was pregnant, had a giant white snake 
and like yeah these dogs that he didn't take care of and like all this just weird weird stuff was always happening there was always chaotic and I couldn't stay there for long we were fighting constantly like I'm I'm hormonal now because I'm pregnant too so my capacity to you know not be a snotty teenager was completely diminished (laughs) yeah Yeah, but she was supportive of my decision like she was she's always been very pro-life um growing up so she was just she was happy that I made the decision I made, but well, was there any expression on her side? And like, obviously I don't want you to sit here and like talk shit about your mom. I mean, <laughs> feel free if you want, but no, but was there any like expression of resentment? Like, Oh, you're doing the same thing I did. Like, especially if it like when you factor in the drugs and alcohol that she was trying to keep you away from. And then, then you're pregnant at 18. Um, like, did you get any of that from her or was she, um, not really. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I didn't get a lot of pushback from my mom. There's other people in my life that were concerned about my drinking and using and, and that kind of stuff. But I just feel like with our relationship, she was almost more comfortable when I was struggling. Cause I think that gave her that ability to feel like the parent, yeah, feel useful. you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, she, it sounds like she put herself in a position of constantly helping people that are in a shitty situation, sometimes at yeah. the expense of her I kids think that was most comfortable for yeah. her. That That's when things are, that's when world makes sense for her is when people yeah. around her are struggling and she can be the kind of person holding it together yeah. and feel important that way and feel like, um, I think that's where she gets her value and self-worth where for me, it was through work, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I had to psychoanalyze my yeah. <laughs> young uh, adulthood. Yeah. So you get fired. Yeah. You have a yeah, two-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And we ended up in a like one-bedroom apartment. I went on social assistance. I ended up just with severe panic and anxiety disorder. Like I couldn't even, I could barely leave my house. I was almost agoraphobic. I couldn't get on a bus or a train or anywhere where I felt trapped because um previously to being fired, I got assaulted by a coworker. Um, she lost her job, but, um, it just, I didn't, my nervous system never felt safe after that. Well, it was her boyfriend that assaulted me, but yeah. So then like, I wasn't getting up every day at the same time, going to work and doing these little things that make a huge difference for my mental health. And it just took a huge dive. I was in and out of the hospital all the time. And the only time I felt okay was when I was like wasted um, then I could leave my house. I could go to the bar. I could get out. I could do something. Cause yeah. I could kind of calm my nervous system with alcohol. And I was just using it to self-medicate for the longest time. Um, and then I finally, I don't know what snapped me out of that. I, I went to see my doctor. Oh, I, I got on medication for anxiety. And my doctor told me like, if you go to work, you'll feel better. Like staying staying at home is making yeah. you worse, <laughs> which seemed so counter productive because like the last thing I wanted to do was leave my house. I could barely like travel anywhere. Right. Without having panic attacks. Um, but I went on medication for anxiety and then I got like a get back to work grant thing where you got paid to go to school. And so I went to film school and I got paid to go to film school and literally just waking up every day, having a place to go, being around other human beings, something switched. And I, I completely felt better. Um, my panic and anxiety started going away. I got confidence back. I was doing something I loved and then I was getting good at. And like, 
learning something. Like there's so many positive changes happening. And a lot of this program was run by someone who's actually was in a 12 step program. So he was teaching some stuff that I later learned (laughs) were part of that within this film program. I'm learning, you know, how to be a human (laughs) and be responsible and accountable. And, uh, yeah, I I got so much confidence. I ended up opening a thrift store and, uh, yeah, I loved it. I started working at, uh, I still work there actually. It's a place called Shadbolt's Art Center and it's where I used to take acting classes and improv classes as a kid. And now I'm like teaching film classes there. And like, I don't know, it just was a really amazing time. And then um, I had no idea that I was an alcoholic or an addict. I still drink and use sometimes. I didn't really use, but I drink a lot. And um, when I did, it was too much, but I wouldn't do it if I had something to do the next year or whatever. Like I was, I was managing it. Yeah. Um, and then I got pregnant with my second son and, um, was sober through the whole pregnancy a month before I even got pregnant. I was sober. I'd quit smoking. I, you know, started getting healthy. Life was getting really, really good, but he was born premature. And then I got postpartum depression after that. And he was like in the hospital and it was really chaotic and like just hard. I wasn't sure if you know, he was going to be okay. We, you can't even stay with your own baby. It's in like the NICU and you're going home without your child. And it, like all the things that were happening, just, I ended up with postpartum depression and like turned to drugs and alcohol to try and cope with that. And then again, within two years, I was back to where I was as a teenager. And that's when I finally hit a bottom. Cause now I have two, two kids that need me yeah. like a partner and I'm messing up my life. I'm doing all these things that just make me feel like the biggest POS on the planet. I just didn't want to live anymore because I thought there's no way I can make up for all of this. And no matter what I do to try and get better, I always end up here. I can't seem to get my life together. I get a year sober. I get like, you know, healthy. I do all these things and I always end up back in this same spot over and over again. Like it's a slingshot. Right. And, uh, and so I just thought, you know, I, I have to disappear. I either need to move away or I need to end my life because people are better off without me. And, uh, I was actually my mom, I got honest with for the first time in my life. And I just told her absolutely everything that I was doing. And I was living the biggest lie. Like, um, people, when I got sober, didn't think I had a problem because I was hiding it a lot. It wasn't like I was openly doing all these things. (laughs) Um, so I was living a lie and I was just feeling like a fraud everywhere I went and working with kids I'm working with brides doing wedding videography and stuff. And I'm like, if you guys knew you wouldn't hire me, like. I'm just a fraud. And uh, she told me that a friend of hers had gone to a 12 step program and, and gotten sober and changed her life. And like, everything's gotten so much better. And that if I did that, then she thinks like my, at that time was my fiance. And now my husband would forgive me and, you know, life can get better and things can be okay. And, and you, you don't have to stay here anymore. And she's seen it happen for her friend. And so like, I was just desperate enough to try and I, uh, tried to do it on my own again for, it was a Tuesday morning. (laughs) I made it to Friday before I'm like, nope, I'm going to need help. (laughs) And then, yeah, I I walked into a 12 step meeting and it was terrifying. It was in the basement of a, of a hospital and it was completely dark. Yeah. (laughs) And there was like all these empty hospital beds. It felt like I was in a morgue and I'm walking down and there's just like this one glowing light at the end of the hallway where I'm assuming this meeting is because it's the only thing that 
has a light on and I was way too early because I got the times wrong. I was like half an hour early and there's just one very old man setting up chairs very slowly in this room and it was absolutely terrifying, but um, it changed my life and I finally understood what I was dealing with, which was like alcoholism and an addiction and um, yeah, and my life has completely changed. I got to be honest with everybody. I probably to a fault in some situations. <laughs> I might have gone too far with the honesty thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I got hope for the first time in my life that I didn't have to go back to that place ever again. Right. And I haven't. I haven't since I walked into that room. I haven't picked up a drug or a drink. Definitely picked up food and TV and cell phones oh, yeah. and work <laughs> like other things. But. We can be addicted to anything. Um, yeah. That's the fun part of that mindset. Um, what, uh, how, how, how long have you been sober? I, August 2016, I got sober. So it's been over six and a half years now. Nice. Congrats. Yeah. Um, Thanks. You're welcome. So obviously, I mean, I, I talk up a lot about this on many, many episodes, but a lot of people think like, oh, okay, I'll just quit drinking problem solved um yeah and anyone that's like successfully done that knows that there's more involved there uh so what i mean what does that journey look like in that way of just being like oh i have to unpack some other shit that's not just like <laughs> yeah that part sucks there is there is a time in my life where i thought drinking was my only problem like I remember someone telling me, oh, why don't you just stop drinking if it's not working for you? I'm like, because nobody's perfect. And if I quit drinking, I'm going to be perfect. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had little lines and everything. Yeah. And that's how delusional I was. <laughs> it's just like, well, that's how my brain would keep me like any excuse to, to stay where I was yeah. with addiction. Right. It, it had a hold on me. So that was all I had left at the end of the day was, oh, I'm not going to be I can't be perfect. I need to have something wrong with me. <laughs> Don't worry, honey. There is a lot wrong with you. <laughs> expert you expert rationalization. Yeah. yeah. So I, I remember getting sober and at first things felt worse because everything's changing and I'm losing friendships and I'm feeling so different and distant from my family. It's like hard to feel connected because everyone's still in the same cycles and, and, uh, yeah, healing is a, a hard journey, but there it was a roller coaster the first um, few months, especially. It was like so amazing. I couldn't even believe it. And then so horrible. I'm crying in the bottom of my closet, like trying to hide from my kids because I can't stop sobbing. You know, <laughs> like it's just all over the place. And I had anxiety coming back in big ways too, like being out in public and stuff. I'd, I'd start feeling anxiety attacks. And then that's scaring me because I'm sober. Um, so counseling was a big part of my journey as well. And like learning how to regulate my nervous system and learning how to deal with anxiety naturally um, was a big part of my journey. And I think like I've had my worst days in my life, clean and sober, for sure. Like the stuff that happened to me when I was drinking and using is nothing compared to the things that have happened, <laughs> you know, in sobriety deep, deep grief and, and like horrific things from literally almost the day I got sober. It was just every worst fear and insecurity hit me. Every worst nightmare that I've had coming true, like a freaking pandemic, losing my brother, 
my dad told me that he doesn't know if I'm really his daughter. You know, my auntie got murdered. There was just like all of these like horrific, crazy things happening while I'm sober. And I don't know how to deal with a freaking happy emotion, let alone like these things I've never even had to attempt to not feel before with drugs and alcohol. Like I'd never had to go through these kind of things before. So I feel like I was kind of thrown into the deep end and had to figure out how to swim is what it felt like. It had no preparation for the kind of stuff I had to deal with. But as I got through those things one after another, the strength that I felt waking up sober the next day after thinking there's no way on God's green earth I could possibly stay sober through this. Like, this is why people drink. I would call my support group and be like, I'm allowed to drink now, right? Like, this is why you drink. (laughs) No one would stay sober through this. And, uh, And I stayed sober and I woke up the next day sober and I was like, holy shit, what else is possible? It reminded me that, that was after my aunt passed away. Cause that was the first thing that happened. It was right before my two, two months sober that she got, she got murdered. And is this the same aunt that drove you to the ultrasound? No, okay. no, this is my, my other auntie Candace. She, um, yeah, she was, um, a- amazing. She was a gambler. She was so funny. And, uh, her, she's a twin. My auntie Kim and my auntie Candace are twins. Yeah. So my aunties are like my world. I love them. My whole family kind of raised me, you know, like everyone was around all the time when I was younger. And I really, really love my aunties. They were a big part of, um, part of my life growing up. And it was just, it was so hard to handle. And we had, um, previously lost my cousin to suicide, which is one of the reasons why I came into recovery because he had been using drugs and just it ate holes in his brain and he wasn't there anymore. Um, so anyways, my auntie passes away. And then, uh, yeah, I remember waking up in the morning thinking like, how the hell did I do that? How the hell did I stay sober through that? And what else can I stay sober through? And it reminded me of the first time that I had used, um, alcohol and, and thought like, Oh my God, what else can make me feel this good? You know what I mean? <laughs> but now it's like, what else can I survive? What else can I heal through? What else can I get yeah. through sober? And and I kind of started that quest of like, um, of healing for me. And when I first got sober, I ended up quitting drinking. I quit eating sugar. I went to like this Bernstein program. I lost 80 pounds. I quit smoking. Like I just started doing everything went <laughs> to the extreme to, to try and get healthy and life started getting really, really, really good. I went to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico. I got married to my husband. I got pregnant with my, my daughter and I had four brothers and two sons. So getting a daughter was just like, um but then it was then I got hit with postpartum depression again and I and being depressed sober was so mind-blowingly hard I felt so disconnected from my higher power which was a big reason why you know sobriety worked for me was finding a connection and I was like oh yeah life sucks everything's horrible I knew I was gonna end up here again you know it was just like the light switch turned off and I just felt like empty and the only thing that was missing was the drugs and alcohol like I felt like that same way I felt when I was drinking and it was so difficult to hold on to hope through that. But like having a supportive community and recovery was probably the only thing that got me through. Can I ask, I'm curious. Cause that's, I, I talk about this at home a lot. I have a level of self-awareness that I'm proud of. Um, mm-hmm. The flip side of that is like, I know if I'm going to do something that's like, you know, to avoid or numb or <laughs> whatever that looks like, uh, you know, whether that be, uh, get high, jerk off, whatever, anything. Um, 
so the frustrating part of that, right, is you just kind of have to sit with your shit because you can't go and be avoidant and numb because you know that like that's what you're doing and you can't, like that's that's the little addicty brain being like you don't have to deal with this we can go uh, you know do whatever um, yeah and I wonder if you can kind of you already a little bit spoken to that but like speak to that a little more because I think that's the thing that I I don't think everybody's an addict I don't think everybody has a drinking problem I think. A lot of people use that to avoid feeling things like Mm -hmm. when you're stressed out, you have a drink and that doesn't mean you have a drinking problem. But like, I feel like there should be some acknowledgement to like, that is the reason in the instance (laughs) that you're you're drinking. And I think when you get sober uh, and you have the awareness of like, oh, that's what I'm doing. And then you have to sit with that shit instead. It sucks. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god it sucks so bad <laughs> yeah I think for me during that time because I felt so you're I was very isolated through pregnancy too I had to go on bed rest for a little bit mm. um so I had been missing meetings and things that were really good for my mental health as well and I felt kind of disconnected from my community a bit and I know for me I consciously turned to food um I was also breastfeeding and like you get so ravenously hungry (laughs) and food was working. It was like giving me just enough. I could not think when I'm eating. It was just like my escape. Um, Yeah. And I ended up getting all the weight that I had lost back and just feeling really uncomfortable in my own skin. And just like it, it was exactly like drinking. It was exactly like all the other things I used, you know. Um, I was hiding things on my credit card. So my husband couldn't see I ordered pizza today. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I would go to McDonald's and order a six pack of muffins and eat them before I got home because I was afraid someone was going to have someone I wouldn't have enough. Like it was so insane. And uh, do you identify that as like addict behavior now? It is 100% addict behavior. Like the, the, I could have replaced it with alcohol easily. It would have been the same feelings and the same guilt and the same like hiding and you know secrets can i all that kind of stuff can we ask do you so i just had a moment recently and i'm wondering just adhd if you can relate to this um i was interviewing somebody just like this uh and he talked about hyperfixation with adhd Mm. and i'd never i mean like i wasn't like hyper fix it like what are those words but I never like thought about that in terms of of ADHD and like it just drilled into my brain and I couldn't stop thinking about it because it was the identifying label of like the shit that I do where I will like really get into something and it will take precedence over other responsibilities in my life and um, what I realized was I was doing I would rationalize those behaviors the same way that I would do, you know, drinking or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time that I saw that I was using like my little addicty brain to do other stuff. And I was, I thought I'd like gotten past that. And so I had like a whole breakdown sobbing. Um, <laughs> but I wonder if you have seen that in your own life with like ADHD stuff, like, cause I, like me, 
I just this is what I know about you. Like you get into a lot of different shit, <laughs> and I like I can relate to that on a level that you know only only some of us can. So I wonder if you have identified that in hobbies and stuff, you know, that aren't food or drinking or anything yeah. Like oh, a hundred percent. I think businesses. Oh, I. Yeah. This has been a place where I've kind of let my ADHD brain play and I get super hyper fixated on like creating things and building things and bringing things into the world. And I've tried to use that for good and like helping other people do their things so that I can do lots of different things and new things and, and learn new stuff and build new things. And it it's not just me redoing my own brand 15 million times. You know? um, and then like recently I got into like picking up my guitar again and singing and doing all these things and going to karaoke and like all things that bring me joy in my life but I get so into them where it's not like I'm just doing it it's like oh I gotta learn like 15 new songs and I want to learn a new chord and I gotta research why this person wrote this song and like, you know, like mm-hmm. I go so deep the, th- the difference between addiction and, and hyperfixation for me is like those things wear off yeah yeah and I will then be on to the next thing or whatever where with like addictions like food addiction for instance that had a hold on me just like drugs and alcohol did where my body is physically dependent on it now and i cannot physically make a different choice than to do these things it's like trying to hold your breath and run upstairs um like your body just overrides your brain and tells you no you need to do this thing you need to eat you cannot not eat right now yeah um but even in in addiction i had hyperfixations like i would buy a little little kits for my drug of choice and like get all the fanciest things. And I was going to be a dealer and I was going to have really cute little bottles and like, you know, all these yeah. <laughs> branding oh yourself in any way possible. Um. Yeah. It was, it was very <laughs> strange and I didn't understand my brain for a really, really long time until I was like 32 and I finally got a diagnosis of ADHD and I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah. that's what's going on with me. The MLM business is like um like crack to me (laughs) oh no that is a bad that's like gambling (laughs) i had i had to put a huge boundary up and just say i can't do these anymore because i joined them all i have a doTERRA account i have a monate account i have a um juice plus i have a tower garden sitting right here like i'm growing my own vegetables with an (laughs) apple Right now. <laughs> and like everybody comes to me with these things and I'm like, yes, I want to do this and I want to build it and I want to like grow a team and I want to be yeah. a leader. And, blah, blah, blah. and then I get so done after I learn everything about the product and like build my little brand. I'm like, okay, I'm over it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, uh... oh, God, we need to just turn this off and talk about this bullshit for a while. I... <laughs> oh, fuck. But yeah, no, I think. People like you and me, we need to make little cards we can read like, hi, my name is Justin. Thank you for interesting me with this uh, opportunity. <laughs> Unfortunately, due to my condition, I will be unable to partake in this opportunity. Oh, that's I can genius. make millions. Wait a minute. I need, it needs to be a hat. Oh, there's oh. another business idea. Let's make clothing. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And the worst is when you get some sort of confirmation about it. Like, uh, mm-hmm. so I have a t-shirt. I bought a cricket because of course. Um, and I have a t-shirt I made that says real men go to therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've done a lot of research on like men in therapy for my grad school stuff. And like, it is something I I am passionate about or care about, but at the same time, like there's a little voice that's like, you could make these for everybody and sell them. And then like last night I went to dinner and someone was like, Oh, can I, can I take a picture of your shirt? And in my mind it goes, see, (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. do this. And I'm like, fuck, no. I'm doing 900 other things. I don't need to try to make a fucking t-shirt company too. Um, but I really want to now. <laughs> I, ha- I have. Like, I, the world <laughs> has become so easy um, to build and create things. Like I just did a print-on-demand t-shirt thing for my brother when he, he passed away. And so I made like shirts, memorial shirts and did like a fundraiser and stuff with it. With and a honestly, all I have to do is design What's it. What's that company called? Um, that's Printful? No, that's not who I use, but okay. I didn't. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I use Printful because it connects with my website and does all these things, but I literally just design it, put it on the website, make a price, and then it's done. The problem is with business is that you have to like market it, <laughs> like tell people that you have a business. And yeah. that's not my fun part. Like, yeah. I don't like doing that. I like creating it. Yeah. Same. And then find it. Like, I don't want to tell you about it. Same. <laughs> like, I could never make an Instagram post about this fucking podcast ever again. And I'd still do it and be just as yeah. happy with it. I don't like, don't get me wrong. I want more listeners. Sure. But I don't want to yeah. like, do anything to get them. Cause in my mind, someone's going to just like organically stumble upon it. And that's how I'm going to be like, get it to be yeah, so big. It's just going to get happen. a producer. Yeah. 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 People are just yeah. going to listen to one episode and tell, three billion of their friends that they also need to listen and that's how it's going to work i don't have to do anything i would love that to be the truth (laughs) and i think honestly though that's why we need each other because this world is set up so much for us to do things on our own and to be isolated and secluded and we can accomplish so much now we can like chat gpt and all these things all these tools now that like one person can do the job of 10 people pretty easily um but like, I hate marketing. I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have a friend of mine that's like coming on board with me that I hired to do like marketing stuff. Cause that's what she loves. Right. And I think that's so beautiful that all of us can have our little zones where we're really flourishing and creative and like love that area. And then we need each other to fill in those gaps to make it all work. Right. Like we need that whole we need like a system. We can't just be these little tiny individual things spinning around. When we put, when we work together, like real things can happen, right? How are you good on time? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just uh, I want to segue. I want to ask a couple more things. Um, sure. Just kind of circling back, <laughs> and because I just said Jesus Christ, uh, you mentioned this like a few times. But what role did religion play with you? growing up because it sounded like you were maybe in and out of it (laughs) yeah I think I have been most of my life but as a young child I believed so hard like I went to church with my neighbors they would take me on Sundays okay and I'd see all these happy people who are helping each other they're involved in their community and I'm like okay this is what life's supposed to look like and this is how you get some of the neighbors that you like that represented the lifestyle that you were trying to yeah. Yeah. They really took me under their wing and I would eat dinner at their houses. Like they were, they helped raise me too. I had so many people in my life that helped bring me up. Um, and so they would take me to church on Sundays and, you know, they asked like, all you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart and then you're, you're saved, you're a Christian or whatever. Right. And so I did that as a kid and I cannot believe how many times my, my prayers would come true. Like I remember one time, uh, before my brothers were ever born, my dad called, so I must have been five or six. 
my dad called and his car had broken down and he couldn't come pick me up. And I hadn't seen him in like a month. And I was like devastated because I was so excited to see him. I, I loved going to see my dad because I could get away from like the stuff that was happening. It was just me and him. I always got, I felt so loved um, when I was with him. It was few and far between, but when it was with him, he made me feel like I was the most important thing in the entire world. And I didn't really have that anywhere else. Maybe my grandma treated me that way too. Um, so I was just devastated and I couldn't stop crying. And I started praying. I'm like, God, can you just make his car start? Please just make his car start. And like five minutes later, he calls me and his car has started. And it was just like, okay, God's real. Obviously <laughs> like, this is, there's no doubt in my mind. Absolutely. God is real. And like, I was lost one time and I prayed and the, the bus that takes me right to my house was rerouted right where I was just out of nowhere. Um, the, the girl crying, I prayed, she just stops crying, everything. So I, I had all this like tangible proof from like, this is was it, for did real. Did it feel like, especially as a kid, were you just kind of like, oh, God's just like a genie. So, yeah, that was pretty much it. That was so my if I'm conception. in trouble, I can just say, fix this and fix. Yeah, okay. that, that was my understanding. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really rude that he's not, but... <laughs> But yeah, and then and then you know, as a teenager, I stepped back from all that kind of stuff, and um, I didn't really get back to church until I got sober, and you know, I was looking for that higher power, and so I just went to like a worship night sort of thing for a recovery worship night, and it was crazy because the guy that was doing the sermon was a guy that did the eulogy for one of my friends that had passed away from an overdose, and it was like three years prior to me getting sober that my friend had passed away. And, uh, I walk in and there's this, the pastor is the same guy that was doing his. And I found out that my friend had been in that. It was called celebrate recovery had been in that program, getting sober and then relapsed and, and that happened. So I'm like, okay, this is where I meant to be. Like, I just, I follow signs is how I, <laughs> my spirituality works. And I'm like, this is a sign I'm meant to be here. And yeah, I, I got hyper fixated on Christianity for a bit there. <laughs> Like, okay, I'm going to write parody songs about Jesus. I rewrote um, Pony by Genuine. Oh my God. I'm to so To be excited. about the story of baby Jesus. <laughs> yes. Is yeah. this online yeah, he's still? Holy Can I find it? <laughs> and Jewish, oh riding a donkey. Right? Like, <laughs> Brick, my podcast just shot to the top of the charts <laughs> because it's the only place you can find this exclusive hit. Um, wow. That was yeah, so fantastic. <laughs> I got into like Bible studies, life groups, they like, did everything. I am like, this is my, my thing. And, um, then after the pandemic happened and my brother passed away, um, I had a really hard time cause I, <laughs> when my brother passed away, my mom called me in the morning and it was the pandemic. I didn't know if we were going to get to have a funeral. I didn't know if I was ever going to get to see him again. Um, so yeah. So when, I, when did that happen? It was August, 2020. And can I ask what the circumstances were? Um, so he, I had seen him, um, I, I got four years sober August 2nd and my brother, my son's birthday is August 8th. So we had like a little party dinner on the 6th and I had seen him and he was two days sober he was clean off of Xanax and alcohol that that was his drugs of choice. He and, and marijuana. And he was dating a girl that was in recovery. And so we were all hanging out together and, and I had just had one of my friends had their 
boyfriend passed away from an overdose and because fentanyl was just everywhere. There was no heroin left. Like it was all just fentanyl up here because nothing's getting across the border at, in 2020, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I I looked at him and I'm like, please don't try anything right now. Like there is nothing safe on the market. There's no, like, I know you're trying to get clean and sober, but things happen. And like, just please don't try anything. And I said to him, if you die, I will kill you. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. Like you guys are my, my first babies, you know? And um, yeah, I actually have a video of him because he did an upside down twerk for me for TikTok because I was like just getting into TikTok at the time. Mm-hmm. So I have a video of him twerking upside down and then he like stands up and there's like this rainbow that goes across his face and there's this huge purple butterfly behind his head that was on the wall and it, he's like laughing and stuff. And I just love that memory so much. But that was the last time I saw him. And uh, when my mom called me, it was like my worst nightmare that's you know I'd been praying for him since I got sober I was convinced God was going to save him because that's what God does he always answers my prayers and I honestly didn't even believe it at first and I I got my um husband's dad to drive me to my mom's house because that's where my brother was living and uh they hadn't taken him away yet and I just like lied on top of him and I said God you do miracles like wake him up you do miracles. I know you're going to save him. I know you're going to wake him up. Give us, give us one more chance. He just started trying. Like I messed up way more than he ever did. Um, and he didn't wake up. And then my faith got shaken. So I was just like, every time I prayed like this, you've, you've answered my prayers. Like, where are you now? This is when it matters. You know, I don't give a shit about a car starting. Like, this is what I want. <laughs> so yeah, I had a really a hard struggle with God after that. And I, um, found out his girlfriend had relapsed and gave him, she, she did heroin and gave it to him to try and they smoked it. And there was like the naloxone kit was all over the ground because she, I guess, passed out before she could give it to him. And it was just like, like the first time he ever did it. And his dad's a heroin addict living on the streets on Maine and Hastings and like still alive in his fifties. And like, why my brother, you know, like, what the fuck is this? So I struggled with God so hard after that. I tried to, to kind of just keep doing the motions and going to the groups and, you know, just not breaking from my routine because I had nothing else to keep me kind of sober at that point. The like meetings were gone and yeah. all online and stuff. So, I mean, I tried to stay connected to higher power, but I just didn't trust God anymore. I was like, I don't, I don't think I want you to be my God. If this is like your plan for my life, like, like, fuck your will. (laughs) I want my will back. I can do a better job at this. (laughs) And I did. I tried. I tried to go on my will and I got really into like seeing mediums and psychics and doing tarot cards. I got certified hyperfixation here. I got certified as a tarot card reader through Hay House. I did like a 10 month course in, I don't even know, six weeks, seven weeks. (laughs) And like, kind of cut myself off from, from Christianity, from church, from all that kind of stuff. Cause I'm like, if this is the result of it, then I don't want it, you know? And I uh, got really into that kind of spirituality, but I had have so many crystals and so many, like, <laughs> I don't need, I, I had sold all my cards recently and I got like $129 for <laughs> all the cards I had. And uh, yeah, I just kind of chose that as my spiritual path for a bit. And my uncle actually just passed away last August and I just broke. I was like, my will is not strong enough for this. Like I'm done. 
and I prayed for a sign again and seven eagles flew over my car while I was praying. And it was just like, how is this even real? And, uh, we got to an Airbnb. We were, I was in the middle of traveling when I got the phone call about my uncle on the ferry. <laughs> and we got to the Airbnb we were staying at, and there was a huge Eagle statue when we got to the Airbnb, um, like just welcoming us at the gate. And then I came home from that trip that weekend on Sunday. And I, I went to a, a meeting that I used to go to, I'd, I'd go to a morning breakfast meeting and then I'd go to church after every day. That's what I did every Sunday. And so I went to that morning meeting and then I just drove to church. Like I used to drive to liquor store without even thinking about it. It was just like, I ended up there and I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> like, how am I here? Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, I guess I'm meant to be here. So I go inside and the whole sermon is about the Eagle and the symbolism of the Bible and the Eagle. And I, I was like, uh, what is happening? So again, I love signs and I'm like, okay, I'm meant to be here. And I started going to church ever since I got rebaptized. Um, yeah, I've started just building that connection again. And I still have that reservation of like fully living in faith and trusting the higher yeah. power. It's I'm working on it. Um, but I know for me, like this for right now, I like hold the right to change my mind at any point, but it's, <laughs> this is what's working for me. So I feel safe. I feel like grounded. I feel like something's got me again, you know? Well, I, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I really appreciate you sharing that story and and that journey because that's it's it's I'm I'm personally not a religious person, but it's it's funny how it's it always seems to be like you can have the good, but sometimes you got to take the bad. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no. it's like it's a full package. Um, and who invented that? That's we have so the bad, the bad <laughs> sets. Yeah, no. Where's the That's perfect true. religion? I would like to join that cult. <laughs> oh, I don't think I don't think we're gonna find the answer on a podcast. I can tell you that much. No. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I, I want to make sure I appreciate you sharing that story because that's oh, thank you. I can't imagine that's got to be very, very difficult, and it's like still. I mean, that's not that long ago. Uh, so, yeah, I. Um, and, and then currently just really shifting the lens. Um, <laughs> what are, what are you currently working on? Where can people find you? Well, um, right now I am knees deep in helping an organization, um, launch their first event. It's called empowered to recover. So we're having a big event here in May, May 27th to start the conversation about how we can do better as a society, um, especially in BC here, they've just legalized every drug. You do not go to jail for meth, okay, heroin, what whatever that? you got. You're good. Um, they have a food truck that delivers drugs to people. now. So it's like, we have some interesting solutions that we're working on, but it's showing me that at least our province is like open to trying ridiculous things. And maybe yeah. one of those ridiculous things can be recovery. <laughs> so yeah. we're bringing some pretty cool stories together. We have um, gold medalist, an NHL player or ex-NHL player, Theo Fleury coming to speak and a gorgeous, amazing, beautiful human being. She's on Canadian Idol right now is going to come do a song and share her story as well. Um, so I'm really excited about that event and it's been taking up most of my brain power. <laughs> yeah. But I do have a business um, called the Sober Biz Collective where I help sober entrepreneurs launch their businesses, do web design. Um, I help producing some podcasts and just getting people started. So, and showing them how to continue doing them things themselves. And that really came out of actually the stuff that happened with my brother. I just, 
I was doing a podcast at the time and it was really hard to hear these kinds of stories and sit with people in their trauma when I'm grieving so hard. And, um, I wanted to kind of just take a back seat and help other people share their stories and their journeys and, and be am- an amplifier rather than it being my voice and my journey. Cause it was just yeah. too hard to share. So yeah, I've been doing that for the last few years and I love it so much. Um, I've got to meet some incredible people. And if you want to find me at sober biz collect or soberbizco.com at soberbizco on Instagram or sober wifestyle on all the other platforms. If you want to get to know me personally and <laughs> hear a lot of too much information. Highly recommend. Doing that. <laughs> well, I, uh, yeah, Brooke, you're, you're a delight. I love talking to you and this is mm-hmm. no exception to that. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right. You just listened to my interview with Brooke. I, God, I cannot tell you how nice it was. I tell, I think I said this on the last episode. I just feel like I'm on a roll, just really enjoying the conversations that I'm having with people. And I am so appreciative of the, the openness and vulnerability displayed, um, Brooke and sharing the story of her brother and it's, it's tragic and, but you know, necessary to, to share that stuff. Um, this was just great. The season's winding down. My semester just ended my summer semester starting soon. It's just, uh, I feel like I'm breathing. You know what I mean? That's all short and sweet little outro. I hope you guys are doing great. I love you. I will talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye.